0: So today is Palm Sunday. On your tables, can you discuss what do you think of when you think of Palm Sunday? Okay. Okay. Could I, because I'm becoming a teacher, could I have some hands up? Who's got an idea? What do you think of when you think of Palm Sunday? Hands up. I want to see everyone's eyes on me. Okay. Oh my gosh. Hands up. Something. What do you think of when you think of Palm Sunday? To be Bowser. Um, donkey. There we go. Donkeys. What else? Uh, okay. Uh, trying to remember where on Sunday
1: fits. Because I remember the Sunday school bit, but not really where it was. Okay, that doesn't really help. <laughs> Luke on Sunday. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Didn't <laughs> come <laughs> as well as I thought it would. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, There's lots of good ideas. Um, That's what I had written down. But here's what I think of when I think of Palm Sunday.
1: If every tongue were still, the noise would still continue. The rocks and stones themselves would stop to sing. There is not one of you who cannot win the kingdom, the slow, the suffering, the quick, the dead.
0: think of Palm Sunday, I think of the, uh, the tall white man, the gleaming white teeth, the white robes, the long hair, the beard, gliding into Jerusalem uh, with his band of followers singing, hey JC, hey JC, you're all right by me, lifting Jesus up on their shoulders and processing into Jerusalem. This isn't really what I think of when I think of Palm Sunday. It was just an excuse to show that awful clip from Jesus Christ super <laughs> So more truthfully, our understanding of Palm Sunday has probably not changed much since Sunday school. We sing songs with Hosanna in, we wave palm crosses and palm leaves and talk about Jesus and a donkey. But is that really all there is to Palm Sunday? I'd say our Sunday school understanding of Palm Sunday just isn't good enough. And we're too easily pleased with that interpretation. So Gareth's going to come and read what the Bible says about Palm
1: Sunday, in the hope that we're going to go beyond that Sunday school explanation. Brilliant. So uh, we're going to read from Matthew 21. So if you want to turn to page 690 on the Bibles in the table. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her.
0: The story is familiar. It's the story we hear year after year. Jesus sends two of his disciples to find a donkey which he rides into Jerusalem. A huge crowd gathers and lays down palm branches and cloaks on the road ahead of Jesus, shouting Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But is there more to Palm Sunday than a donkey, a colt, Hosanna and palm branches? Well, obviously, else I wouldn't have been asked to do the talk. Um, Palm Sunday is a pivotal point in Jesus' life. It marks the arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem for the final week of his life on earth. This is a make-or-break moment in Jesus' ministry. So for the first bit of the talk today, I want us to go back 2,000 years and imagine what it would have been like to be a Jew in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Why were the Jews so looking forward to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem? So imagine you were a Jew living under Roman rule in Israel in the first century AD. Why would you be shouting? Uh, why would you be looking forward to the arrival of Jesus? Why would the crowds be shouting Hosanna, Hosanna? Hosanna means save, or save us. The Jews are crying out for a saviour, someone to help and rescue them from the oppression of the Romans. If you were a first century Jew living in Jerusalem, your immediate wish would be for a king to arrive and overthrow the Romans. The arrival of Jesus would be a big deal for you as a first century Jew, especially seeing as his arrival was also prophesied by Zechariah, as we saw in the passage. See verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a huge deal. For the people of Judea. Jesus is the fulfilment of God's promise. For a king to rescue them. The crowds also shout. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he had come. Jesus was the long awaited Messiah. The son of David. The prophesied ruler of Israel. And the people of Judea were expecting Jesus. To be the king who would overthrow. The Roman Empire in Israel. Take his throne and set Israel free. However. This is not the king that Jesus would be. Jesus was the unexpected king. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was not as a victorious battle king entering a capital city. Victors in battle enter cities riding on fearsome horses, but this one comes riding on a donkey. So here are some donkeys Um, (laughs) invisible donkeys. Um, There was the donkey from Shrek, so that was, you know, popular culture that Holly referenced. Good old popular culture. And there was the donkey, uh, it was Eeyore as well. That's good. Um, And there was also the donkey from Tots TV, if anyone remembers Tots TV. James Wolfe does. Good. I just described that, so I'm just going to move
1: on. (laughs)
0: so Jesus was the unexpected king he doesn't enter Jerusalem as a victorious king in the traditional sense any general that rides into battle on a donkey will be slaughtered Jesus was riding like a servant defenseless, vulnerable he shows that his triumph will not be through the force of arms Jesus came to rule as king for sure but not through taking power and killing but by losing power and dying. Jesus came to rule as king, but not through taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. Jesus was the unexpected king. He turned the idea of victory upside down. His majesty was found in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My power is made perfect in weakness. And Psalm 8, two says, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. The mighty God whose glory is displayed across the universe uses the praise of little children to silence the powers against him. He triumphs through weakness, hence the donkey. Jesus was an unexpected king. A week after Palm Sunday, Jesus would make the ultimate demonstration of becoming king through weakness. So Jesus did not fulfill the Jews' expectations as they had expected. Jesus was the unexpected king because he was victorious through weakness. He was also the unexpected king because he had a bigger idea than simply overthrowing the Romans. Here are some Romans. <laughs> it covers all the bases, really. You've got Roman Abranovich. And you've got Rory the Roman from Doctor Who. That probably doesn't cover all the paces, to be honest. I didn't know who Roman Abramovich was, but I don't really know anything about football. Anyway. The Jews thought they needed another Moses who would lead them out of lead them out of oppression for God to bring judgment on their oppressors. What they really needed was someone to save the whole world. And Jews were expecting a king who would overthrow the Romans, but Jesus came to overthrow the power of sin and death and save the world. But they didn't understand this. In Luke 19.41, Jesus wept over the blindness of Jerusalem, saying, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus came not to overthrow the Romans, but to save the whole world, yet the Jews could not see this. John 1.11 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus was the unexpected king. The people had expected a king to come, set them free from Roman oppression, but this is a shadow of the king Jesus would become. As Tom Wright puts it, and this is—I'm sorry, this is an excessively long quote—but it is very good. The reason Jesus wasn't the sort of king people wanted had wanted in his own day is that he was the true king. But they had become used to the ordinary, shabby, second-rate sort. They were looking for a builder to construct the home they thought they wanted, but he was the architect, coming with a new plan that would give them everything they needed. They were looking for a singer to sing the song they had been humming for a long time. But he was the composer, bringing them a new song to which the old song they knew would form at best the background music. He was the king, all right, but he had come to redefine kingship around his own work, his own mission, his own fate. When Jesus comes riding on a donkey, he's saying, I'm a king, but not the king you might think. What if I did free you from the Romans? What if that was the only salvation I provided? You have a slavery which is much deeper than the slavery to Rome. What about your slavery to sin and to death? Jesus came to give real liberation. And for us too, Jesus is the unexpected king. We, like the people of Judea, do not accept Jesus for the king he was meant to be. We understand Jesus so little and expect so little from him. If we truly looked harder, we might discover a more all-encompassing king than we had ever imagined. As Tom Wright puts it again, we believe Jesus will bring us piety, comfort for our conscience and happiness. But this is not nearly as important as Jesus himself. Much like the Jews simply expecting a king to liberate them from the Romans... We fail to see Jesus for who he really is. The people of Jesus' day failed to recognise him for who he was in in their day and we too fail to recognise Jesus for who he truly is today. Palm Sunday is a great way of showing us the gaping chasm between what we think we need from a king and what God has actually provided us with. What we think we need is almost always shallow and we want to control what God gives us in our lives. We want a God who will give us what we want rather than surrendering our lives lives to him to what he wants and his plan for us and his kingship. We want Jesus to be our guide, our comforter, but he wants to be our king, our provider. So, do we accept Jesus as king? We hold back from letting Jesus be the king of our lives. Much like the first century Jews, we want Jesus for what he can give us and seek to manage his kingship in our lives to suit us. However, Jesus calls us to place all our trust in him as king. Jesus came to rule as king, but not through taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. Jesus came riding on a donkey through weakness, and we can come to him only through our own weakness too. Jesus took the place of a servant to become the king of all and we are welcome to come to him in our own weakness. As Tim Keller puts it, sin is a servant putting putting himself in the place of a king. Salvation is a king putting himself in the place of a servant. Sin is us putting ourselves in the place of Christ, taking the place of king in our own lives. But salvation is Christ putting himself and us accepting him in the place of us as king of our lives. So do we accept Jesus as king? Other religions send a messenger to say, servants, stop putting yourself in the place of a king. But in Christianity, the king himself comes and puts himself in the place of a servant so that we might be saved. There's nothing we can do enough in our own strength, in our own striving to sort it out. This is where Christianity differs from other religions and philosophies, which teach that you can improve yourself and save yourself through your own strength. But Jesus died in our place, showing that true salvation—salvation—is won through weakness, and that we can come to Him only through our weakness. It's relieving, right? It's relieving. It's freeing. So often we can do the opposite, though, and we think that we can be saved through our own strength. If we just try enough on our own lives, we'll make a good job of it. And we crown ourselves as king. So if you believe you're saved by strength, what happens when something bad happens to you? Have a think about that. If you believe that you're saved by your own strength, what happens when something bad happens in your life? Well, it depends if you're feeling like you're succeeding or you're failing at life. If you believe, you're by, you're say, if you believe that you're saved by your own strength and you feel like you're succeeding in life, when something bad happens you feel like God owes you one and you blame your problems on him. On the other hand, if you feel like you're failing in life, you feel that the bad things that are happening to you are a punishment for how badly you've been living your life. Neither of these is true. If you know that you're saved through weakness rather than strength, when things go wrong, you'll say, well, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve a good life at all. I'm loved by him, I'm accepted by him and I'm freely welcomed by him therefore this thing that is happening to me is not a punishment it's not God letting me down that must provide us some comfort I am weak and I still find myself enslaved to sin, the king of my own life constantly trying to improve myself constantly trying to be a better person to not mess up so much to manage my sin as Holly put so powerfully three weeks ago I so easily forget that Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey in weakness and died in my place, not so that I can leave a self-saving life, but so I can put up my hands and say I need to identify with Christ and his weakness. In my life, I am tempted to self-sufficiency and to live as king of my own life. I think that I'm so self-sufficient, so able to do things, that when things go wrong, I feel like God owes me one. One example is that um, recently, a few weeks ago, I had an interview, interview for a job, uh, which I didn't get. And even though I thought I would trusted God with the outcome, saying, you know, your will be done, I was so gutted, so disappointed when I didn't get the job. I realised how much I was living out my own plan for my life. How much I built my own kingdom. And I wasn't trusting that God was king. I wasn't trusting that he had a better plan. And I had to realise that my own plan hadn't worked out. And I had to trust that God had a better plan for me.
1: When I am king of my own life,
0: my selfishness ruins everything. If I'd truly known that I was saved through weakness, I could have said, well, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve a good life, but I'm loved by him. I'm accepted by him. I'm freely welcomed by him. He is the king of my life. And he has a plan. I have to admit that I will never do enough, never be strong enough to be the person God created for me to be. Without him. True salvation is found only through admitting my weakness. Identifying with Christ in his weakness. And allowing him to be the king of my life. So, do we accept Jesus as king? Cool. Well, we can bring this to an end shortly. Which is good. Palm Sunday is really about the arrival of an unexpected king. The people of Judea expected a king who would overthrow the Romans in strength, but he was so much more. He was a king who would bring salvation in weakness to the whole earth and provide real liberation from the actual oppressor. So we too today face an unexpected king, one who comes to liberate us through weakness, So as we head towards Easter in a week's time, may we reflect on how Jesus came as a king riding on a donkey, a king who provided liberation through weakness and one who comes to liberate us in our weakness. So wherever you are this Easter and whatever you're doing, may you know Jesus as a true and unexpected king who saved us through his own weakness.